Welcome into the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Overtime coming at you for the next two hours right here on Fan Run Radio. Jake Miller, Davis Rangy, producer Matthew, intern Bryson, Tennessee falls to Missouri on another buzzer beater. Missouri takes a huge lead on the balls. What happens? Tennessee goes small. And voila, something finally worked. We finally go small. We start scoring points. We start putting up more shots, just like we'd said we needed to do on Friday. Everything except Nick Honor having a good game happened that we said would happen on Friday. Another thing that we said would happen, Phil called in and broke the news to us that Tennessee was a 13-point favorite, and we all laughed. And I said, take the under. Or not the under, but uh, take Missouri to cover. Well, we were right. So what do you all make of the last play? Because in my mind, if someone's just jacking up a shot from the S at the half-court logo, there is nothing you can do about that. The Vanderbilt play, that was a design play. We should have had more coverage on the corner, and we didn't. With this deal with Missouri, yes, Jamal Meshack probably could have played him closer, Vescovy, whatever, but there is nothing you can do about someone just jacking up a half-court shot and it going in. That's just my two cents. There's not a ton you can do about that, but I mean, I think my main complaint about that last stretch is I want some consistency from the refs because if you're going to call that lane violation on a Waka, Z- I mean, not Ziegler, Mayshack fouled the crap out of the guy when he shot the three also. Didn't let him land. That should have been a foul, too. So I mean, we got to have some consistency in the refs. I understand that they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes, but Pat Adams, man, I don't know how we keep getting stuck with him, but. I mean, even before that, to look for even a hook and hold on that last thing in that situation is crazy to me. It's uh, I I don't know, man, but, you know, as crazy as it's been and as bad as these last two weeks have been, you still have, like I said last week, you still have everything in front of you. You can come back Wednesday night against the now number one team in the country, Alabama. You win, you get everybody right back on track. Get everybody back in, invested. We don't know how that's going to translate to March. Probably not great, but, you know, you get the hype back and, uh, like you're saying, the small ball lineup, they may have accidentally went into that with the uh, injuries of Phillips and Josiah, but Ziegler, Key, Vescovi, Meshack, and Awaka. That's who I want to see starting Wednesday night, and I'm cool with that group, man. Let's just run. What a just what a burst of energy they brought. I mean, they can play the small. You got small ball, like you said. Um, Ziegler through Meshack, one through four, they can switch at all positions. Even Awaka can probably guard a little bit of perimeter, but... You know, that's a lineup that can run and go, and you're going to need that Wednesday night because if you try to play small in this little stall-out half-court off against Alabama, you're going to get destroyed. That you are. And another thing to mention, too, is it seemed like in the second half the refs were almost trying to get Tennessee back into this game. I mean, Tennessee, I feel like we were in the double bonus eight minutes into the second half. Yeah. yeah. Also, the foul um, when Kobe Brown went into uh, Olivier with about – what they get the ball 24 seconds didn't score till about seven or eight yeah that was a foul also on Conwell. like they they were not consistent at all there's fouls also that they didn't call on shots that we made and it's like i, I don't get it man it's just uh we, we complain about referee that's not the reason we lost this game but the refereeing has to be better especially from mr pat adams i mean it's just kind of crazy we've been harping on it for what five minutes now referees just costing games and um there's really not much you can do about that, about the shot. I mean, unless you uh, make a free throw, you foul them on the way down. So, uh, one second. 
I was frustrated with the refereeing as well, but I was more frustrated with the fact that we didn't score a field goal, so not counting free throws, in the last two and a half minutes of the game. And you're going to play teams that are hot, shooting over 50% from three in March, and you just have to find a way to win those games. And going scoreless for two and a half minutes, the last two and a half minutes of the game is not its inexcusable. Real quick, that's a great point. And that's because Ziegler fouled out. Right. Like you cannot exactly. do, you cannot have that stupid foul ninety feet away from the basket, gambling mm-hmm. on a steal when you're up six of the time, I believe. And that was his fourth foul. I mean, that was just stupid. No, that no, was that his was fifth. fifth. The fourth was a well, little. I was reach saying, he, what I meant to say is he had four fouls. Yeah, that was yeah, his fifth. yeah, yeah, yeah. The little yeah. fourth was a little reach around, which was kind of stupid too. But um, you, you can't have your floor general not on the floor in that situation, man. Yeah, no, you got to play smarter than that. It was just. Yeah. I mean, it's just. But he'll learn from. He knows what he did. He yeah. knows he screwed yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. He knew right Bennett then. Away, there. Yeah. Yeah. So Jalen Jackson Jr. foul man, just ninety four feet away from the ball, nothing from the basket. No yep. Yeah. Let's get right to it. Big Orange Phillies phone lines. Fake Bob is first. What do you say, Fake Bob? You all ready to check your TBA Wednesday night? <laughs> you got it. Oh yeah. man, you got it. Yeah, it, it, I just. And I'm like, wow, great time to do this. That is not go a good time. Give, uh, Alabama, <laughs> go ahead and give Alabama more energy to come out and uh, punch us right in the face. I don't need Brandon Miller to have any more energy than what he's already got. That guy's yeah, that um, damn good. He's like the Triple H of college I, basketball right now. Yeah, that, that shot was just comical. I mean, I, I told my – my buddy, when Fiscovi missed that first free throw and then the lane violation, I'm like, we're about to have a repeat from Wednesday. And I stood up, and then as the ball went in, I just looked at the TV for like five straight minutes. I, I, I couldn't say anything because it was just, well, like I said, comical and then just unbelievable that it's happened twice in one week. That's the thing. It's happened back-to-back games. I mean, buzzer beaters are rare as it is. But the fact they happened back to back, just can't make it up. Is it kind of crazy that both games ended sixty? Uh, one game ended sixty six to sixty five, and the other one ended eighty six to eighty five. Three pointer oh, both times. Oh man! Well, and it almost ended the same way. I mean, Viscovi to the foul line to put the game away, and he he blows both games, and then the final shot. I don't. I mean, I I feel bad for Viscovi, man. I mean, you know that. Gosh, this Mike. You know that he's been practicing his butt off since Wednesday night in that for that exact situation. He did good the first two free throws, and then I don't know, man. Sometimes you just think too much, and you know, once he missed the first one, I was like, that's that's not good. Same as you. Well, I mean, it's just ex- execution, like Bryson was saying. I mean, if, if they score in that final two and a half minutes, other than free throws, they win the game, and it's just. They went cold again and just at the wrong time. And then the last couple of games, the teams are just bombing threes after us being the number one three-point defense in the country all season. And, I mean, something else to think about is, you know, everyone's harping on those last few possessions as the reason we lost the game. Listen, there's a lot of stuff leading up to that that we should not have done. We should have never put ourselves in that situation to begin with. You're the number six team in the country. You have the ability to play like it, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there to begin with. We put ourselves in that situation early on, and that's why we were in the situation at the end of the game. Well, I mean, we started out hot, too. I mean, we we were hitting a bunch of shots, and I'm just thinking, okay, Missouri's eventually going to fall off and not hit these threes. And, I mean, they just kept hitting them. 
one after another, and I'm like, dang gum. I mean, that's the thing is they just kept hitting. Everything it seemed like they were throwing up, it was going down. And the only time that it wasn't going down is when we went on that stretch to come back from, I think, 17 down is what we were. And you make the adjustments. You go to the small ball lineup, and it works. And it's like, okay, we might actually have a shot to win this game. Because the odds, when you look at the live betting on it, they were still like only plus 110 for Missouri to win the game. So there was still some thought, even in Vegas, that Tennessee was going to win this game. And even down 17. And like I've seen some tweets and people say that, you know, you can just throw Saturday out because of how Missouri shot. And they did shoot the crap out of the ball, hit some tough ass shots. But this is the second game in a row that we've not guarded the three well. I mean, Vanderbilt shot 10 for 25 from three, which is good for 40%, which is great for college basketball. And Missouri Saturday shot 14 for 26, 54% from the field. So this is the second consecutive game that we haven't guarded the three well. And, uh, I think you'll know your answer um, Wednesday night if we're guarding the three or not. Yeah, and I got one quick, one more quick point. Y'all could probably double check me on this, but I heard a stat earlier today that just blew my mind. And like, I heard that in the last five games alone, that we've only had seven fast break points. And if wow. that's the case, that's another reason why we're losing. But yeah, I said y'all can double check me on that, but like I. That's that if that's true, it's just it's it's mind blowing. I mean, the thing uh, is, like it, it seems like it's right. You say the last two games, last five, five, five. Mm-hmm. five. Wow. I, I mean, I, I I was watching this game and it was very. I w- I wouldn't say I was laughing at the game, but it was comical watching <laughs> just us coming back and Missouri just ripping our hearts ripping, out, ripping like I mean ripping threes. I was just laughing at the shots they were making. It's it's hard, man. Like especially when you get down by that much to come back and keep that sustained momentum for that long of a period of time. Like most of the time, if it if a team jumps out on you like that, especially in college basketball, like it's it's hard to beat a team, man. But I mean, we scored fifty three points in the second half, correct? Yeah, which is which is great, which is amazing. And that's yeah. what happens when you go small. And I think they may have found something. I don't know if they'll stick with it. Um, you know, my feeling is if Julian Phillips feels good enough to go Wednesday, they'll probably start him. Uh, which would be a little upsetting, but I don't know, man. You got to try something different. You really got nothing to lose at this point. I mean, you think they'll start Olivier and Julian over uh, a Walker and uh, Mayshack? I don't think. I mean, I don't think they're going to start Mayshack. Mayshack's not. Obviously, we can be real here. He's not going to give you anything on offense, really. Nope. But his energy and his defense, yep. and him guarding one through four, hell, probably even five, can uh, really switch a game like we saw Saturday. I'm going to give you all some interesting stats. Uh, our guy Jordan, he hooked us up with these. So in the first half on Saturday, mostly two bigs were in the lineup, right? Yep. The shot selection at the rim, we were one of four. Mid-range, seven of 11. And three of 10 from three. Now in the second half, when we go to the four guard, one big look, what we call small ball. At the rim, we were four of seven. Mid-range, oh of three. Nine of 18 from three. Tyree Key went off. Tyree Key had a fantastic game. Finally got his Desmond Bain comparison. Saying it all year. But, uh, I mean, that's the way basketball is headed, man. That's the way that's that's arrived. Small ball is the way to go. And, I mean, that stat is pretty eye-opening if you look at it. And that's – like, imagine if we played that way the entire year. Just done small ball, four out, one in, basically. You might only have one or two losses on the schedule. Maybe three. It's pretty much Alabama. Alabama is just a little bit of five out, too. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on Wednesday. Let's go back to the Big Orange Phillies phone lines. Philly is next. What do you say, Philly? Jake, 
Pelé. Snake. Pelé. We told them that what was going to happen, didn't we? Well, you called in. You broke the news to us on what the spread was. And what did I tell you, Phil? I said, take Missouri to cover. And I was right. Yeah. I'm glad Davis is back now. I guess after hearing Bryce on the radio last week, he had to get his ass back in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a little uh, business I had to take care of, Phil. But I'm back. What, watch Rick Barnes? Uh, I had to watch that slop. <laughs> yep. Of course, Matthew's... Uh, He's my new favorite now. I like old Matthew. Appreciate cool. that. Appreciate that, Phil. The producer from Down Under. Oh God, that means Jake the Slate's got the got it going now. I mean, I like all all the shows on on there, but this is it's this is number one. I mean, it's well, unbelievable. Well, it's because you got four elite basketball minds in this room, Phil. Exactly. I can talk basketball and not get ridiculed about you know Rick Barnes' underachieving. Well, Phil, like we said last week, it's, it seems like it's going to be Jerry Green 2.0 because I only see one guaranteed win on the rest of the schedule, and that's South Carolina. And even then, they're playing somewhat decent ball compared to what they have been. Yeah, I don't either. And I guarantee you right now, Alabama will be the star out of them Wednesday night. <laughs> Got a score prediction already? I'd, well, I'd say about 86 to 60, something like that. I can live with that. Yeah, I can. I, I, can, I can see, see Alabama. I can't live with it, but I, I'll I'll accept it. I think uh, <laughs> I think they're going to put up a big number for sure. I would be surprised if we keep them under eighty. Well, Alabama will get a big lead, and then you know he'll substitute and this, that, and the other, and and we won't play BJ in the second half. You know, same old crap. You know. Well, the one thing that stood out about BJ is he did a really good job of facilitating the offense when he was in. That's the one thing that stood out to me is he was facilitating the offense very well. And, of course, we saw on the defensive side he wasn't playing up to Rick Barnes' standards, and Rick Barnes does what Rick Barnes does. He had a couple bad turnovers, but, I mean, you're throwing him in in one of the biggest games of the year. Swing like This is literally the swing game of the year. Why haven't you been playing him 10 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game all year to get him ready for this situation? You're just throwing him in there. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It's the staff's responsibility to get him ready. And you already burned his red shirt, so like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, and they're putting him on the damn scout squad. I mean, that's how they figured out he's going to get some playing. I'll tell you what, I bet that scout squad guards are better than our starters. Well, it's probably consistent of BJ, DeLeon, DeLeon, and uh, DJ, DJ Jefferson. DJ? Yeah. yeah, all top one hundred players, and they're on the scout team. And then uh, I like your old Martin, one of our favorite callers. I mean, he called in won't know about Kamwa coming next back next year. I hope that guy's back in Finland next year. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope your office is in Serbia. I mean, good luck. I'm tired of him. I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, has got talent, but the kid, he played one good game and about five bad games. Reminds me of Fulkerson a little bit. The one step forward, five steps back. Yep. Well, Fulkerson's more consistent than Kamwa. Yeah, they Good just. Lord. Uh, I don't know, man. I just feel like our bigs here just stay here forever. Forever. <laughs> Six, seven years. Feels like, like Perry Ellis yeah, from yeah, Kansas. Yeah, it feels like Perry Ellis, just 3.0, 4.0, 5.0, and 5.0. Good Lord. I know poor old Triple J's is hurt all the time. I mean, good. He can't get a break. No, he can't. He can't get a break, Phil. I mean, that's five-star talent. 
Draft stock depleted. Not even an NBA prospect now. Should have left out of the first year. Yeah. And what they should have done is, uh, like you say, earlier in the show there, BJ should have backed up ZZ, and Key and uh, Vascovi should have played, shared playing now at that two position. They're so damn dumb over there, I just can't believe it. It's becoming hard to watch, Phil. I couldn't believe it on on Saturday. When, when we went down, I think it was 17, I I just about checked out. I'm like, oh, my God, we are getting run out of our own gym. And the thing is, Missouri's not a bad team. They haven't played bad basketball all year. A similar record to Tennessee. And I was sitting there scratching my head. I'm like, why is this team? I mean, they're, they're decent, but there's no way in any situation they should ever be down 17 at home. To Missouri. Off. Yes. But, I mean, that's like Missouri's not a bad team, but, you know, you put yourself in that situation. Well, I, uh, was it your show or another show? I heard some caller call in. Where is the sense of urgency of this uh, basketball program to do something? Non-existent. That's, that's why fans are okay with Rick Barnes failing in March every year. And it's people no want to say, oh, well, you don't want to go back to the Donnie Tindall's years. Guess what? Donnie Tindall went on to become the G League Coach of the Year, and I'm pretty sure he led a JUCO team to the national title in Florida. Did he really? I'm pretty sure he did. Well, Steve Forbes led him uh, uh year college team in the national championship too, didn't he? I'll tell you right now, when Barnes hangs it up, there's all kinds of people out there we can get. I mean, we can go get Nate Oates right now. I'd go get Forbes. Go get Forbes, go get Nate Oates, Musselman, just someone that's going to bring some excitement. Will Wade. Will Wade, I, I'd take Will, Will Wade. Will Wade, oh, wouldn't it be beautiful? What cheating been going all the time, man? I love it. Uh, I mean, here's the oh, thing. Wade wins cheat anyway. I don't care if anybody cheats. I just want to win. You don't tell me all them players go down there to uh, sit on the bench and they got better. Alabama, we don't have a player that started Alabama's basketball team. Well, I mean, you think Zion Williamson went to Duke for free, Phil? No, they bought him a house <laughs> and a car. I mean, that's what you get when you go to Kentucky. You get a Porsche. I'll tell you what, though. It shows you how important coaching is, though. Coach K, uh, you know, retired, and look what they got over there. They got a Buzz Peterson coaching. They do. It's funny. <laughs> oh, and Buzz Peterson. Like Buzz Peterson. Oh, it's funny. I was watching The Last Dance. I'm rewatching it, and the first thing that pops up, there he is, Buzz Peterson, roommate of Michael Jordan. <laughs> But you're right, though. This season is just like Jed's last one, it looks like. I mean, uh, I don't see one win, maybe two. I, I don't see how we're going to do it. Do you? No, I mean, the only thing is Rick Barnes can't tell us to go to Kmart anymore because that doesn't exist. So, I guess Rick Barnes is going to tell us to go to Shoney's. I, I, I don't know. Right, it's like, maybe Rick Barnes will pay some best pays at six million. See <laughs> Golly. Phil doing what he does. He was on one today. Yeah. I was uh, up there. <laughs> Sending back to Finland and Serbia. Finland and Serbia, man. <laughs> Stay with us. Overtime continues. More Fan Run Radio on the way. Back here on Overtime, Fan Run Radio. Tennessee Athletics loses a legend today, Gus Manning. Passed away yesterday at the age of 99. And for those of you who don't know who Gus Manning is, imagine having a talking encyclopedia for Tennessee football. This guy knew anything 
and everything. Could probably name you every single player that has come through this program since General Nealon was the head coach. That's how intelligent this guy was. That's how much he knew about Tennessee football. He could tell you anything you needed to know about the program. And our hearts, prayers, thoughts go to Gus Manning, his family, friends. I know Monica on Twitter and her mother, um, you know, they spent a lot of time with him. They really enjoyed every moment that they had with him. And we wish nothing but the best for you and everything in your future. That's terribly worded, but let's go back to the Big Orange Phillies phone lines. TJ, the Kentucky fan, is up. We say, Tej. Well, boys, I tell you, uh, I should, should say gentlemen, none of y'all are boys. Man, My back you hurts. know, it started, it started Saturday with an ugly beatdown that you usually see Georgia give Kentucky in football. And then it started this morning with my truck getting in a car wreck. But the good thing, and then I just dropped my phone. But the good thing about having a truck is there was no damage to mine, thank God. Must be nice. And now I'm hanging stuff for my wife on a Monday when I get home from work. And I tell you, boys, I feel like we're just in a slump. I mean, you, you look at this at the beginning of this year, Tennessee and Kentucky, both, both. I know you guys have been on a roll besides the past couple of games, but you legitimately thought that, hey, you know what? In the SEC, there's probably five or six secure tournament teams, and there's probably three or four, definitely three, that could go to an Elite Eight or a Final Four. And those three, obviously, or four, obviously, were Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, and Auburn. Because Auburn had, you know, got, Auburn had guys coming back and all that stuff. Even, you could throw Arkansas in that mix. But, boys, I don't know what's going on this year. I don't think I've ever seen a Kentucky team plays so bad, and I don't think I've ever seen a team get beat back-to-back on buzzer beaters. It's definitely um, – it's the word I'm looking here. It's uh, wide open. I mean, anyone yeah. from Georgia up can beat you on any given day. And I don't know if y'all saw that game. They didn't just beat us, guys. They owned us. Oh yeah, they took the lunch. I man, I they I don't know if you saw the column by Dan Woken on I think it was Sunday morning after the game or Saturday night after the game. But I agree with him. The first seven years that Calipari gave Kentucky was the most exciting basketball I've ever seen in my lifetime. The John Wall, the Marcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, the championships, the thirty eight no, blah, blah, blah. But any other coach that would coach for Kentucky right now would be fired after that Georgia game. But the stupid lifetime contract is literally blocking that because we would owe Calipari 50-something million dollars. Oh, yeah, y'all are stuck. There's no way around it, TJ. Y'all are stuck with that contract. Y'all are stuck with him for as long as he wants to coach. If he leaves, does Kentucky still have to pay him all that money? No. Okay. Well, see, here's the thing. 
he has a lifetime contract, but whenever he leaves, he becomes not the athletic director of the basketball program, but the ambassador. So either way, he's still going to have a hand in everything that's done with Kentucky basketball. And look, we've seen those coaches who just flare out, okay? You've seen it with Philip Fulmer. We've seen it with Tubby Smith. You I mean, we're starting to see it, see it with Rick Barnes. Yeah, I mean, Rick Barnes. we got a guy over here right now that looks like a coach that's ready to retire. Yeah, you just see it happening, and it's so sad because you think to yourself, man, what could have been – I mean – Every game we lose, man, what could have been, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys, what could have been, and it's just so, it doesn't even hurt at this point. It's just sad. It's depressing. It's not fun to watch, that's for sure. I mean, you know, this is the time of year that I really look forward to, and right now I'm looking at March, and I'm just like, man. Who cares? It's like, give me NASCAR. But here's the thing, and I'll leave y'all with this. I'm that Kentucky fan that is an idiot because in the back of my mind, I still think we're going to go on a run and make an Elite Eight, and I'm just going to get hurt once again. Well, so y- y'all made it to the Final Four, or I think they actually made it to the championship game as like an eight seed one year. Yeah, it was Connecticut. It was Connecticut versus Kentucky in, what, 2013? What was it, eight versus seven? 14, 2014. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was like eight versus seven. Yeah, it was eight versus seven. That was the uh, – is that the Shabazz Napier team? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, the Harrison Twins. Harrison Twins, yep. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, have y'all seen Jerry Palm's latest uh, projections for I us? I don't even want to see it. How bad is it? Um, they have us in the Orlando region as a four seed, matched up with Liberty in the first round. I don't like that. I don't know. Surely we can beat Liberty, right? Who if we play uh, in the next round? Miami. Yep, don't want to play Miami. Nope. Nope. I would take Miami. There's only two top 25 SEC teams back to TJ's first point now, which is crazy. Think about us in Alabama. Yeah. Well, Arkansas is catching stride now. Yep. And Missouri probably should be ranked. I guess they've done pretty well against ranked opponents this year. Arkansas. I mean, three. I mean, let's. I mean, let's be honest, here, man. Any any team can win the SEC championship, like we've said. Issue. I mean, like Georgia is five and seven. Mississippi State five and seven. Vandy. Florida and Arkansas are all six and six in conference. Then you got Kentucky, Auburn, Missouri seven and five. Then us eight and four. Then a little bit of a gap. A and M ten and two. Then Bama twelve and zero. So, and then you got the scum at the bottom: Ole Miss, South Carolina, LSU two and ten, two and ten, one and eleven. That LSU Texas A and M game. Watching that, what it was, it forty one to like seventeen and a half. Was terrible to watch. LSU and A and M. Yeah. It was like 39 to 12 at one point, yeah. too. So they went yeah. on a little bit of a run. <laughs> yeah, it was 41 to like 12 at one point. I was watching it. LSU has lost 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 straight games. Wow. Well, and I mean, that's what happens when you have to implode the program and put a sign on the rec center saying open tryouts, basketball <laughs> team. I, I don't understand. What's your GPA and how many years of eligibility do you have left? They opened, they beat Arkansas at home when Arkansas was number nine, and then they've now they've lost 12 straight. Way she goes, bud. Way hey. she goes. Uh, man, I don't know. It's a uh, – yeah, you can throw the uh, SEC regular season uh, title out of the window for sure. No, now. that wasn't going to happen to begin with. Yeah. Well, I mean, we pretty much knew that Alabama was the best team in this conference coming into the season. 
Or I mean, at least conference play. Uh, well, I mean, I thought you could at least tie with them. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. You could at least tie with them, but uh, there's no shot. Or now. just had, if it, before before the past two weeks, you could have at least won those three games, and you would have had them coming in here basically for a battle for first in the SEC. Yeah, well, and another elite basketball mind alerted me to something today. What if I told you that Tennessee's defense last year was better than what we have on the floor this year? Like up the, to this point in the season? By the metrics. I mean, I wouldn't surprise you. also had Conwell go out of what, midway through the season at South Carolina? Midway through February. Yeah. Which honestly know. didn't feel like a big loss at all. No. I mean, what what does he do on the defensive end? Let's be honest here. What does Olivier do on the defensive end? Soft. And notice yeah. nobody's coming up with an answer. I'm sorry, but we're we, yeah we're just soft all the way we around, man. I they just if they get punked, they're getting like punked, punked. Like, yes. Saturday they fought back, but we noticed none of our bigs were in during that time. Nope. Euros. Euros is on the bench being a cheerleader. Yep. Kamwa was on the bench being the entire time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. Those two just infuriate me, man. They really do. Like Phil said, well, ship and, them back. Well, and some people have finally come around. And realize that this is not the best Tennessee team ever. And one of those was going pretty hard at us a few weeks ago. <laughs> it all went, it literally all went downhill, and they started saying that. Yep, everything went downhill. But there's one person in particular that is still riding high on that hill. What were we before we got called the best UT team? That was before the Texas game, right? Right around that time. Yeah, right around that time when we. It would have been right around that time. We were number two in the country. Yeah, because we lost. We haven't. It was before Florida. Yeah, it was before Florida. Yeah. Yeah, we it, were. Uh, who did we play before Texas? Georgia, and we beat them seventy to yeah, forty-one. It was right around that time mm-hmm. that it was getting called the best UT team ever. But and even before that, you just lost to Kentucky a week before yeah. at home. I mean, and we've all discovered by this point. I think everybody that was on that bandwagon has discovered that this is not. The best Tennessee team of the century. I mean, we're a good team. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I still think we're a decent team. We're just not anywhere near. We're not in the same stratosphere as the best Tennessee team ever, ever. or even Grant and Admiral. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I. some people are like, well, Rick Barnes has done a good job considering the talent he has on his team. Well, whose fault is that, man? You're supposed to go out and recruit some talent. Yeah. Well, and something with the talent, this really hasn't been talked about much, but – if you look at mock drafts right now, Julian Phillips has almost worked his way out of the second round into the third round. There's no third round. Basically just non-existent. So he's undrafted, not drafted. Yeah, undrafted, undrafted free, free agent. agent. Yeah. Did they just change that? Didn't there used to be? No. Like back in the 70s. Oh. Was okay. there a th- it was a third round. So he's 70s. almost worked his way out of being drafted. Yeah, there used to be like 12 rounds in the NBA draft. Well, so I guess there's a scenario now where Julian comes back or has to come back. I think he has to, yeah, honestly. I think he does too, because I mean, you see the people. I mean, Freddie already came; he's here right now. But I mean, the people we're getting in is what J.P. Estrella, Cameron Cohen. Who's the other guy we're getting in next year? DeLeon was part of that class. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's one more. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I've almost been out on Rick Barnes for a while now, and him throwing Julian Phillips under the bus about sent me over the edge it might have actually but if jp estrella comes in here next year and we waste that talent <laughs> i will lose it what do you mean if i'm just saying when i mean yeah, surely to god, i mean surely to god the guy's got talent the question is we've not- seen the clips we've seen the film do uh any of y'all want to take a guess of where julian phillips was projected in june probably a lot, probably a lottery pick 
15th. I'm going to say 14 to 18. Yep, or not. 17th overall, the Lakers, what yep. they had them in June. Yep. There it is. And now he's worked his way damn near out of the entire draft. There it is. Is he, is he, is he uh, about to become Isaiah Thomas getting drafted last? That's just. <laughs> That's a few, I mean, the question's not if, it's when. When, when are we going to recognize that draft stocks, if you come here, man, you, you might as well just hope and pray that you have like a Keon and Jay Nia where. I mean, their careers haven't panned out too well either. I mean, I mean no. you're still in the first they, round. They both should have came back yeah. too. So should yep. Kennedy Chandler. Yep. Although, I mean, based on what the logic we're using, maybe they shouldn't have. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Maybe it would have been worse if they came back. This one had Phillips going 15th overall. Uh, this was back in May. I'm getting mad. Stay with us. Overtime continues. More Fan Run Radio on the way. Back here on Overtime Fan Run Radio. Had to get a little creative with that bumper. It's taking too long to play through, so I was like, ah, let's just add a call to it. And so I picked one of the most iconic of all time. Phil, Florida, 2016. Greatest call ever. Had the same feelings that week that he did. Pleasantly surprised, I must say. I mean, it's the same feeling that a lot of people have going into basketball games now. Let's call that like it is. Uh, I would definitely say going into March. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like Florida football. I'm just getting you all primed. It's a mental block. Day before Valentine's Day. Sitting here talking about how we're going to do in March. Let's get back to the Big Orange Phillies phone lines. Jordan is next. What do you say, Jordan? How's it going, guys? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, good. Uh, you read some stats off earlier that I sent you. Yeah. Uh, about how different we were from the first half to the second half in the Missouri game. And that is something that I've been talking about for a couple of years now with Rick Barnes. And it seems to me that Rick is just being reluctant to change with the game. Um, you look at, you know, let, use football as an example. Let's use, uh, use Nick Saban. You know, 10 to 15 years ago, what did Nick Saban want to do? He wanted to run the football, run the football, play defense. He Derek Henry, to, he Trent Richardson, all those guys, just run it down your throat. Exactly. Exactly. He wanted to play the game in a phone booth, and it was all a defense. Then he made a philosophical, a philosophical change because the game of football was changing. He goes and gets Wayne Kiffin. He goes and gets these receivers, and he starts throwing the football all over the place. And he's okay with giving up a few points on the defensive side of the football so he can score points on the offensive side of the football. Well, Rick is trying to play offense in a phone booth, and he's trying to play it inside the paint at the elbow with his post players instead of evolving with the game. The game has evolved now for shooters in space. It's about spacing the floor and making the defense cover as much floor as possible. You saw that in the second half when we finally went to the four-guard, one-big lineup, and he spaced the floor out, and he allowed these guys to play with a freedom and to take the first shot they saw, and they started getting out in transition, and automatically we scored 53 points and a half. When just a few weeks ago, we scored 40-something points in one game. So he's, he's reluctant to change with the times is what I'm aggravated at. You, you can win with his style of offense. That's fine, but you have to recruit to that style of offense. He had a Grant Williams who was dominant in the post. He had an Admiral who could get to the elbow and, and get his shot off, or Jordan Bowden that could get to the elbow and get his shot off, and it looked great. 
The problem is he hasn't recruited any more of those guys that can get to the elbow or can get their shot off in the post. Olivier is probably the most inconsistent basketball player I've ever seen at Tennessee. And he doesn't have a dude that he can dump that ball into, and it scares the defense. The defense isn't scared of anybody we have in the post. So they're, they're, they're not going to sag off our shooters, so our shooters aren't getting good looks. they got a hand in their face. You look in the second half, our shooters got great looks because the floor was spaced out and we were driving and dishing out. So that's what, that's what aggravates me with Rick is he's, he's reluctant to change. And, and it seems to me that we're going down the same path that, that we went down with Fulmer, where Fulmer was reluctant to change with the times, and then he kind of just, the game passed him by. Well, the game has passed Rick by at this point on the offensive side of the floor. He has to recruit to that. The problem is, his recruiting philosophy is, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I don't want to get in those recruiting games. I'm not going to pay players, which is fine. The five stars that he's been able to get up to this point, the Josiah Jordan James, the Kennedy Chandlers, those families they had were already they, they were already well off. They didn't need money. They didn't chase money. So they went to the best school for them. He can't go out and get these big-time talent and these big-time post players like Kentucky gets or like the big seven-footer at Purdue gets because he's not going to play the dirty game. He has to kind of come down on his recruiting board some and get these uh, project players in Olivier and these project players in Euros because he's not going to play that dirty game. Well, and one of the things that we talked about too here a while back – you know, you mentioned the project, and my comment was, well, when you get one project player here, one project player there, and pretty soon your entire team becomes a project, yep. and that's kind of what we've evolved to exactly. is just a project team. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The whole team is full of role players. Mm-hmm. There's no dude on that team. Last year looked really, really good, and we made a run and won the SC tournament because you had a dude in Kennedy Chandler on that team. And go back and look at what he did from about middle January – to the, to the NCAA tournament, he averaged about 16 points a game, about six assists a game, almost shot 50% from three. He was a dude. When that offense broke down last year, he could get to the rack and get his shot, or he can get his shot off from anywhere. He made that offense look better because he was a dude. And I've been waiting for Julian Phillips to turn it on because he's supposed to be a dude. And do you think that if he would have went to Alabama or if he would have went to Auburn or Bruce, where everybody thought he was going to go, that he would look like this? No, because he would have the freedom to play in the offense and the freedom to, to, to get his shot off wherever he could get his shot off. He'd be in a lot more open offense. And Rick is just so about his sets on the offensive side of the ball. You have to pass the ball. You have to. He wants everybody to be perfect on that side and get the best shot possible. But the problem is, with the players we have, we may pass up an open look and then not get another open look because they're second-guessing everything, which goes back to the Julian Phillips thing at Vanderbilt. Any basketball player who's ever played basketball in that situation who has an open look at the hoop is going and scoring. They're going to dunk that basketball because that's your first instinct is to score the basketball. But he was terrified that if he goes in there and dunks that basketball, that's not what Rick wanted to do. He's getting put on the bench the next game. Because they're playing so scared. Yep. They're playing scared. Tyree Key at Indiana State, he was a great scorer, a great shooter of the basketball. And then he comes here, and so far up until this past game, he looks scared. He looked timid. He didn't take the open shots. And every time he kind of missed a shot, you can kind of feel or see that he's kind of glancing over and looking, okay, is he going to pull me now? So I feel like he coaches the confidence and he coaches the offense out of these players because for him it's defense, 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 defense. And in today's basketball, offense is going to beat defense. Shooters are going to shoot. Shooters are going to get their shots off. And teams are hot in today's basketball because growing up now with the analytics and the three-shot 
it's all about shooting. That's what these kids growing up, that's what they practice is shooting the basketball. It's so funny because you, just, you mentioned that because we actually had a NBA Bo on last week. Bo S is from NBA.com. And we were talking about how Michael Jordan transcended the game. But then we talked about how Steph Curry has reached or reached this audience to where it's like, well, I can't be like Mike. I can't be like LeBron because I'm not six foot eight or six foot six and weigh 220, 250 pounds. But I can shoot the three, much like Steph. So if I can model my game off of that instead of trying to be like Mike or trying to be like LeBron. Yep. I mean, a lot of these teams, you guys mentioned earlier, at the potential of playing Liberty in the first round. Well, guess what? They shoot a lot of threes. They're one of the best three-shooting teams in the country. Uh, A lot of these teams, especially at the mid-major level, can't get the high-end athletes that Kansas or North Carolina or Duke get. So their whole philosophy is analytical. It's we're going to get shots at the rim or we're going to shoot threes. So they go out here and they may get some of these kids that may not be as athletic, but they can shoot the basketball which is why you were starting to see more mid-major teams take runs into the NCAA tournament because shooters shoot. It's one of the things that I've been saying for a while with Rick. Go get more shooters. Quit getting these athletes that, can, that are very athletic and can play defense. That doesn't win you games. Putting the ball in the hoop is what wins you games. Go recruit shooters. Why can Purdue get two or three guys every year that can shoot the basketball? Why some of these mid-majors can get guys that can shoot the basketball and we have Vescovy that can shoot and now we have Key that can shoot? That's pretty much all we've had since the Bowden and Lamonte days. So that's just where my frustrations are coming. And I think a lot of people get it wrong as some of us law fans who are frustrated with the product right now. Like, I'm thankful for Rick. He came in at a time where our program needed a foundation. And he has built that foundation up for us. And we're in a really, really good spot where we're at. I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that we're a perennial top ten team and that we're competing for championships, you know, or conference championships. I'm thankful for that. But sometimes, you know, when you we're getting frustrated like Texas got frustrated. Okay, we're getting, we're getting frustrated at, well, yeah, we may have a good regular season and get some wins, but we, but we all know we're, we're out in the first weekend of the tournament. Well, it's kind of like Georgia with Mark Richt in football. I mean, Georgia and Mark Richt, he, kept, he built a great foundation, but he could never get them over the hump. And he had it right there in 2012, good. the SEC championship game. He had it right well, he, there. He couldn't take it to the next level where, where it needed to go. And they finally got tired of him, and they replaced him with, with, with Kirby Smart. And, you know, Rick is 68. Uh, I think he's going to be 69 this year. He, he's back into his career. And we have a really good recruiting class coming in next year, and it looks great on paper, and I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm excited for Freddie Buckets and some of these guys we got coming in. But let's be real. Okay, we've seen what he does with five-star talent. Are these guys going to come in and have the freedom to play to their, to their talent? No. More than likely not. I mean, more likely he's going to coach some of this confidence out of them because if they don't play within the framework of his offense, they're sitting on the bench. This man had Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson coming off the bench as five-star freshmen, and both of them were top 15 players in the country, and both of them end up first-round draft picks because they wouldn't play inside his framework of his offense and play defense the way he wanted them to. And he just wouldn't let them be them. I mean, that's the big thing that we've been harping on for the past few weeks. These guys look like they're playing scared, and it all goes back. You know, I think I told you even last week, Jordan, was, you know, you got to take it back to the movie The Sandlot. When Benny goes up to Scotty Smalls and he says, man, you got to stop thinking so much. You know, you know why you missed that ball? Because you were thinking too much. If you were having fun, you would have caught the ball. And if our guys were out there having fun, much like we were in the second half, just out there having fun, we're going to make more shots. We're going to take more chances at the basket. We're going to win more ball games. We're going to put up more points if we just go out there and play our brand of basketball. Let these guys be themselves. 
Exactly. And and they looked like in the second half they were having fun. They looked like they were finally not overthinking things and just playing basketball the way they grew up playing basketball, you know, pickup games, AAU games. They, they weren't thinking. They were just letting it go and, and free-flowing. And uh, I just wanted to call in and, and, and give my thoughts on, on where we're at offensively. I'm fine with the defense. That's great. But if you're going to play defense the way we're playing defense and you want to, we're one of the top teams in the country in steal rate and steals. But as, as I heard you guys say earlier, we've only had, what, seven fast break points in the past handful of games? Yep. How is that possible when you're one of the best teams in the country at getting steals? You should be getting out in transition and running and getting easy buckets. But I've noticed we'll get a steal and we'll slow it down to run our offense. You gotta, when you play defense at a high level, you're wasting so much energy playing defense. You need to get the easy buckets while you can get the easy buckets. And we're just not coached to do that. It's just a slow down slow pace of basketball that does not complement each other. We're not playing complementary basketball with each other. No, we're not playing complementary basketball at all, and you made a really good point. It's like, you know, we're sitting here wondering why we have very few fast break points, and it makes sense because I'm sitting here and I'm not questioning the statistic because I'm seeing it with my own eyes, and you just alluded to a really good point was the fact that when we get the ball, we get the steal, we're holding it. We're waiting for Vescovy, Zakai Ziegler, whoever to come pick the ball up, and set up the offense. Coach to play scared and timid. Yep. Not be aggressive. Exactly. And, and and one last point before I get off here, guys. Uh, going back to the point guard situation with uh, Zakai and BJ. Rick knew he had a point guard problem last year because he tried to go get Tyrese Hunter uh, from Iowa State, and he had Yuri Collins in the bag before that blew up. So he already knew he had a point guard problem, and he thought he had to solve with Yuri Collins, and that fell through. Then he went and tried to get, uh, get Tyrese Hunter. So he knew coming into the season – he had a, a point guard problem. The problem is, and I agree with every caller that's called it and you guys, which is you should have got B.J. minutes when we were playing UT Martin and Florida Gulf Coast mm-hmm. University, and you were beating these teams by 30 and 40. That is when you get him minutes to get him used to the, co- uh, to the collegiate game. So when he's pressed into action against Missouri, he knows in the speed of the game. He knows what he's doing. He's had to practice in the game reps to know what's going on. That's one of my biggest gripes with Rick, too. You look at Kentucky. I've been saying it for years with Calipari. Everybody makes fun of them because they struggle in November and December. Well, yeah, because he's playing five freshmen that have never played together, and he's forcing them into action. And then by March, they magically look like a top-five basketball team. Now, granted, the past couple of years they haven't, and they've been knocked out. But that's one of the big things with Calipari is he's not afraid to let those freshmen make mistakes in November and December and January because he knows by the end of February and March it pays off. Rick, on the other hand, go back to last year with Brendan Huntley Hatfield. We didn't see him all year, and then all of a sudden, Olivier goes down. Man, we got to press this guy into action. Well, if you would have got him minutes in November and December, he'd have been prepared to step in when Olivier went down, but you didn't because you're scared to put him out there because you don't want him to make a mistake. No, you're exactly right, Jordan. I mean, you make some really good points, and you know it's one of those things where we have all these guys, they come in. I mean, we had the situation with Tomba. Brandon Huntley Hatfield, now the third B Mays Elite product in uh, BJ Edwards. And it, I mean, let's call it like it is. We're ruining that pipeline. We have yes. all but ruined the B Mays Elite pipeline, the Catholic High School pipeline. That's almost ruined at this point, it seems like. And it's just a shame that this is happening because those are all talented players. Jordan, we got to run. Stay with us. Overtime continues. More fan run radio on the way. Your pet.